I wanted to um, take you back to where we sort of left off last week, just as a kind of a reminder, uh, just to kind of refresh our minds. And uh, we were in Second Peter, if you recall, and um, we're talking about the fact that uh, talking about the fact that God's abundant life uh, comes to us. Uh, through putting our faith in the power and in the promises of God. This is just such a great passage of scripture. In Second uh, Peter chapter 1 and verse 3, uh, here's what Peter tells us. Uh, God's divine power has granted to us, granted. A grant is something that's given to us, right? It's a gift. It's a grant is free to us to use. And uh, his divine power, God's power, has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And I just stop and think about that and, and realize that, you know, when I believe that, uh, somehow worry just like goes out of my life. God has already given me everything I need for life and for godliness. So no matter what circumstance comes up in the future, no matter what might happen, no matter what ifs might come down the line and might land in my life, I already have everything I need for life and to make the right choices in the midst of those situations to develop a Christ-like character. So that no matter what comes our way, we already have. It's not like, you know, uh, I'm still searching and I have to go uh, find more spirituality or I have to, you know, do this or do that. Uh, God has granted to me by his power, and he's got all the power, um, everything I need for life and godliness through the knowledge of Jesus who called us to his own glory and excellence. So the more I get to know Jesus, the more I get to understand, the more I uh, do these Bible studies and understand who Jesus is, the more I find out there's way more packed into who Jesus is and what he's done than I realize, right? As I go on in life, more and more unfolds, and I discover that Jesus is there in, in more and more ways, deeper and deeper ways. And uh, he's called us to be like him, so that through all the things that happen in life, uh, I have the option to choose to think like him, uh, to feel like him, to see the world in his worldview, and I have that option. And so uh, Peter says, through the, uh, through the power that God has granted us, and then verse 4 says, uh, that same power has granted to us his very precious and very great promises. Through his power and through his promises, God has granted us promises, right? Precious and very great promises, so that through these promises, by taking God at his word and believing these promises, so that through those promises, we may become partakers of the divine nature. That we are actually in the process of God depositing his nature into us. Now, don't misunderstand. We are not God. I am not God. But I am receiving God's nature into my life. I am not God. <laughs> you are not God. But God is depositing his nature, more and more of his nature, in order that we might be in this process 
of actually uh, becoming like Christ. And these promises as well are granted. You notice in verse 4 that we have been granted these promises, precious and very great promises. You ever stop and think, what are the promises that you're counting on that God has made to you? Well, you know, if I put my faith in Jesus, God totally forgives me. I'm like, that is a huge promise. I am so thankful for that promise. I believe it, right? Uh, If I put my faith in Jesus, uh, I'm going to spend eternity in heaven. It's a promise that God has made. How precious is that promise? I've done a couple of funerals just in the last couple of weeks, a couple of friends. And, uh, you know, what a great thing it is to go to the graveside and talk about the life to come and the life that Jesus won for us when he rose up from the dead, you know, and to be a, a group of people who are not as others who have no hope. Uh, maybe you have some friends like I do who don't believe that there is a heaven or an afterlife. And uh, they just think this life is everything, and so they have to get as much as they can. Anyway, all these different promises that God has made to us, how precious are they to us? Um, Great and precious promises. So to partake of God's nature through his promises, um, we start to become like him. The word Christian, if you call yourself a Christian, the word actually means little Christ. Little Christ. When you call yourself, you say, I'm a Christian, here's what you're saying. I'm a little Christ. I'm like, I'm in the process of becoming like Jesus. And I'm doing it through embracing his promises. The Apostle Paul talked about it like this. You remember in Galatians 2.20, Paul says, I, Paul, am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, just like we sang this morning, not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave himself for me. Uh, What a great way to think about that. You know, I am dying to myself, but I am embracing and being given the nature of God. Now, we've seen uh, in the past week or two that these precious promises, plural, promises, uh, all descend from the promise that God made way back in the very beginning In the book of Genesis, uh, God promised Abram, you know, that he's going to bless all the peoples of the earth. He's going to bless. That was the promise that started all uh, the promises that come after it. In Acts chapter 26, the apostle Paul is uh, uh, on trial for his life before King Agrippa. And uh, Paul says in verse 6, he says, I stand here on trial because of my hope in the promise made by God to our forefathers, uh, and so on and so forth. I I stand here on trial because of the promise, the great promise that started way back in Genesis chapter 12 and uh, is forwarding all the way through. And in Galatians, um, this initial promise or this great promise, you know, is very significant and um, really is a prelude to the gospel. In Galatians chapter 6, I'm sorry, chapter 3 and verse 6. Just as Abraham believed God, and by believing God, God counted his belief or his faith to him as righteousness. Just as Abraham believed God, because Abraham believed God. Remember, God said, I'm going to make you a great nation, and out of you, I'm going to bless all the people in the world. And, uh, And Abraham believed God, but he didn't have any kids. 
He was like 75 at the time, remember? And uh, so just as Abraham believed God against the odds and it was counted to him as righteousness, okay? Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. It is, the, it is those of faith. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles, us, most of us, I don't know if any of us here this morning are Jewish, but most of us are Gentiles, and the scriptures foreseeing down the road of history that God would justify us Gentiles by faith, preach the gospel beforehand to Abraham. Through faith, God declares us righteous in his eyes. He takes the work of Christ and credits it to our account, right? And uh, it goes on here, uh, the Gentiles by faith preach the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you shall all the nations be be blessed. That's the promise. And so then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, uh, the man of faith. We are sons of Abraham. But you notice that the promise of blessing people comes through uh, the promise of the gospel. And it's the gospel that makes all the difference. Um, Remember, God sealed this promise that he made to Abram by himself. Do you remember We talked about this, that normally back in those days, if you wanted to sign a contract to make a deal, you took some animals, split them in half, you created an aisle, and the two parties walked through the middle, basically saying, may this happen to me if I don't hold up my end of the bargain. And God put Abraham to sleep and then walked that aisle himself, saying, I am going to bless all the nations of the world, whether you cooperate or not, I'm going to do it. And uh, it's the sovereign will of God, and this is what he's doing. And so all of these promises emanate, you know, out of that. And uh, I, I love this. In Second uh, uh, Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 20, uh, Paul writes, and he says, For all the promises of God, all the promises of God, find their yes in Jesus. All the promises of God are yes in Jesus. So if we put our faith in Jesus, if we believe the promises of God, God counts them as righteousness, credits us with Christ's righteousness. So by faith, then, um, we mean more than intellectual assent. What is faith? Uh, If faith is so crucial and faith is the core of uh, our relationship with God, Faith, I want to suggest to you, is more than just intellectual assent. Faith is the conviction that something is absolutely true. Faith is the conviction that something's absolutely true. In Hebrews uh, 11, uh, the scriptures define faith as the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Faith is a gift from God, according to Ephesians 2. Even our faith is a gift that comes to us from God. It's an assurance of future reality. And the Bible goes on to say that without faith, it's impossible to please God. So faith is a crucial issue, but it's more than just intellectual assent. If I were to say to you something like, um, Jesus is God's son, God's only begotten son. He's the only son of God. If you didn't know anything about Jesus, you might first be curious, right? And you might say, gee, I wonder if that's true. 
And you might go research it. You might read scripture. You might talk to other people. You might research uh, on the internet or whatever. And, uh, and you might go from being curious to being convinced, right? And uh, you might say, you know what? I think that's true. But, you know, that's not faith either. Just to be convinced that something is true, you know, it's true whether you believe it or not. It's just that you've come to be convinced, you know, that it's true. But if you go from being convinced to being convicted and ask yourself, what does it mean now that Jesus is the only begotten Son of God? And, oh, my goodness, you know, I better find out what he had to say. And, oh, wow, it's the Son of God. I better listen to what he's saying. Conviction leads to action. Conviction, I'm at first curious, right? And then I become convinced, and then I become convicted. I got to do something about what I'm convinced about is really true. And so faith is the conviction that something is absolutely true, but it's always tied to action. Faith, uh, conviction results in action. So promises, then, are the means that God uses to draw us into the abundant life uh, that God wants to give us. God is a promise maker and a promise keeper, even as we sang this morning. Now, we've all experienced broken promises, right? Haven't you had people make promises to you that they haven't come through on? And I bet that you've made a few promises yourself that you haven't delivered on. And, uh, you know, there's an enemy, right? We've learned that Jesus told us, I have this abundant life for you, but there's a thief, and he's out to steal it. And if this life comes by promises, uh, well, you know, uh, the thief is going to try to uh, get you to not trust promises. Maybe you're familiar with this phrase, uh, I'll believe it when I see it. You ever say that? I'll believe it when I see it. Well, if you apply that to God's promises, you're too late. If you wait till you see what God has for the future, you're going to be too late. God wants you to trust him. That's what faith is. Uh, And to take his promises at face value. Um, Today, the Bible says, is the day of salvation. You know, there's something in us that really does want to trust people's promises, isn't there? But, you know, if you you have a, a phone, you know, and you're getting all these messages all the time of all these people trying to rip you off and trying to tell you invest in this and invest in that and send your money here and send your money there. After a while, all of these promises start to mean nothing. And then God comes along and he says, listen, I have these precious and very great promises for you. And if you will put your faith in Jesus and I make these promises and in these promises, you know, uh, you will start to experience the abundant life that I'm trying to give you. And we say, well, I don't know that I can trust promises. And we don't even realize that we're, when God makes a promise, uh, we, we sometimes doubt it without ever even thinking about it because there's so much deception and so many broken promises that become part of our life that we're just skeptical. But God cannot lie. There's not many things God cannot do, but he cannot lie. So if God makes a promise, he's going to deliver on it. And I also think that you and I have an advantage because we live at a time when we can look back on promises that God has made and we can check the record of history and we can see his faithfulness in fulfilling his promises. Um, Like promises that God made about the first coming of Jesus and to see how uh, 
intricately each promise has been fulfilled or promises God has made about Israel and to just check the record of the nation of Israel and see how God keeps his promises. You know, as, as Christians, we're, we're a part of what might be called the promise plan of God from the beginning of time. Here's my promise, here's my plan, and uh, you and I as Christians become a part of that. You know, one of the themes, I think, of our day <clears throat> is the way that our culture is fragmented into all different separate categories. Uh, we think, for example, that our private life can be separated from our public life. You think of some of the uh, political scandals of our day and people think, well, this is my private life. It's none of your business kind of thing. We think we can separate those two. We think we can separate our political life from our spiritual life. You know, last week, uh, July 4th weekend, many of us think back to the way our country had its birthday and uh, the Constitution, the bylaws, and so forth, and how informed they were uh, by uh, the Bible and by God and by Moses in particular. Uh, I think in establishing the nation of Israel, many of those principles were carried over and made America great uh, in so many different ways. But today, uh, things are fragmented and the spiritual and the political have to be separated and can't influence and, and so on. You know what I'm talking about. We have different social groups, different economic groups, different uh, identity issues and so forth. But what we're missing today, what we've sort of lost from the birthday of our nation is kind of that cosmic story, that narrative that takes everything into account, right? And that gives us the overall uh, story of uh, our lives, a worldview, if you will, that can accommodate diverse people and can explain the why behind all of our problems and can infuse hope uh, about the future. Uh, what's the big picture? What's the big plan? And how do I fit in? And that's where God comes and says, you know, uh, I, I'm on a mission. God is really a missionary God. And his mission is to bless all the nations, all the families of the earth through Jesus, who's at the center uh, of all of his plans and at the center of the universe is this promised plan of God. Now, history, as revealed in the Bible, uh, when you think about it, is uh, a lot like a piece of music I want to suggest to you this morning. Uh, history sort of builds to a crescendo. Biblical history is building toward a day when Jesus returns and there'll be a crescendo, there's a, there's a finale, uh, you know, uh, to the history as it's revealed in Scripture. And each note in the music contributes, right, uh, contributes to a pattern, and timing is very important. When the timing is off, uh, the music gets dissonant, and it doesn't make sense, and it gets chaotic, and the harmony goes away, um, even this morning, right? Uh, I don't always get the timing right on the music. So I'm standing here and uh, I sing at the wrong time. My wife grabs my hand and she starts doing the timing of the music so that I know not to blurt out and mess up everybody who's trying to sing together up here. So uh, the timing is all important. And I want to suggest it's the same with the kingdom of God. Um, when our timing gets mixed up and the story doesn't make sense, uh, and it becomes especially true with the promises of God. Some promises were meant for the past. Some of the great and precious promises that God's made are for now. 
And some of the promises that God makes are for the future. And if we get the timing wrong, for instance, a lot of us would like what's promised for the future to be ours now. And when it's not, and it doesn't work out that way, uh, there are serious consequences in our lives. Like, you know, we get upset. We get angry with God. I thought you promised me X, Y, Z, and look at where I'm at. And it's not, you know, true. Well, you know, the promise that you think uh, you're trying to apply to now is really for the future. And, and so forth. So timing of the promises. You're familiar with this uh, passage, right, in uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse 1. For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. You know that verse. And then after it, there's a time to be born and a time to die. There's a time to weep and a time to laugh. There's a time to keep silent and a time to speak up. And there's a time to love and there's a time to hate and so forth. There's timing to life. We all have a past, we have a present, and we have a future. And uh, promises in the Bible that were made for the past are very helpful to build our faith, right? Uh, We can look back and see plainly that God is a promise-making and a promise-keeping God, and especially, as I mentioned before, uh, uh, the first coming of Jesus. Do you realize there are over 50 different promises in the Old Testament looking forward to Christmas, to Christ's first coming? 50 different promises. You can sit down, you can list them, and you can then read the New Testament. You can read a passage like Isaiah 53, talking about Jesus on the cross, and then read the accounts in the Gospels and see how God made promises and fulfilled them as history unfolded. God is a promise-making and a promise-keeping God. If you uh, go to uh, like Psalm 22, uh, same thing, and then read the accounts of the cross, uh, you compare them. And one of the interesting things, uh, one of the things that God uses to convince people to believe him is that God makes promises and keeps them. There's no other God who does that. Let me read for you, Isaiah chapter 42. I am the Lord, that's my name, my glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare, before they spring forth, I tell you of them. God is like, one of the ways you can know I am who I say I am, and I do what I say I do, and you you can trust my promises, just look at the past. I've declared things before they happen, and I then make them happen. And you can know that I'm telling you the truth. Uh, Same thing uh, a couple chapters later. Remember this and stand firm. Recall it to your mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old. For I am God and there is no other. I am God and there's nobody like me declaring the end from the beginning. Right? And from ancient times, things not yet done. Saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. I have spoken and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed and I will do it. Listen to me. Trust me, God says. Why? Because God is a promise-making and a promise-keeping God. So there are certain promises that, that are for the past that really help us to trust him. Then there's promises for the future. There's a lot of promises that the Bible makes uh, that are about the future. You may remember in uh, Hebrews chapter Uh, uh, 13, uh, verse 14, he says, For here, here right now, we have no lasting city. This life that we're living here is temporary. We have no lasting city. Have you noticed everything in this life comes to pass? 
Nothing comes to stay, including you and me. Nothing comes to stay. Everything comes to pass. And so the author of Hebrews says, here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. We seek the promise about the city that God has made about the future. Uh, We have promises about the future. And uh, it's really interesting to just take some of these promises. I thank John for reading scripture from Revelation. You know, and uh, we're being promised that someday there's going to be life without pain, without death, without tears. Well, all, uh, uh, don't you want that now? <laughs> Wouldn't it be great if we could have that now? But no, it's for the future. Uh, uh, in Revelation chapter 21, we, we were made for a better world than this. Uh, the Bible actually says that we are citizens of heaven and we're waiting for our Savior to come and to give us a new body, and to give us a new home, and to give us a new heavens and a new earth, and so forth. We're waiting now. Here's, here's a promise that you, you're going to have to get used to in life. You're waiting. <laughs> I don't like to wait. Do you like to wait? Go to the airport, you like to wait? <laughs> Go to a restaurant, you like to wait? No. But you know what? God says, I promise you, you're, you're waiting, and a Savior's going to come from heaven. You're already a citizen of heaven. I, I'm asked, I was asked if I would do a wedding in Cancun, okay, Mexico. So I asked, well, what do I have to do to do a wedding in Cancun? It's another country. So I found out, uh, and I found out the hard way, I did a wedding in New York City that was illegal. It was so exciting. We were on top of a building, and we did this wedding. It was really great. But about a year later, I got a letter from some organization in the city that told me that that was illegal, and I didn't have the right paperwork, and I had to submit all this stuff and pay a fine, and I had to notify the couple that they weren't legally married, and yada, yada, yada. So all of that to say, whoever your new pastor is, get ready to forgive him, because he'll only be a man, and he'll make mistakes, right? But um, I was asked to do this wedding, so, you know, there's really no laws in Mexico. There's, there's, you know, but I've already learned you can do this illegally, and that's not good for the couple. So uh, what we're going to do is they're going to get married legally here in the States, and then we're going to go to... Mexico and just have a celebration wedding you know all the guests will think that's the real thing but the real thing happens here just like you are already a citizen of heaven okay and all of those things are true about you but you're here temporarily on assignment right the bible calls us ambassadors on behalf of heaven we've been assigned to live here for a while Uh, But our real citizenship is in heaven. And so we do things according to our real citizenship, and we're longing for that opportunity uh, to go home. Um, There are promises also for now. But I want to suggest we don't always like these promises that are for now. Uh, And I think we give ourselves away when some of these promises show up on our doorstep and we're totally surprised that God would allow something like this to happen to us. And we sort of give ourselves away. For example, Jesus said, listen, in this life, I promise you, you will have tribulation. I promise you. And like when tribulation shows up, we're like totally surprised. And it's like, well, wait a minute. Didn't Jesus say in this life, men have tribulation and trials? You know, think of all the different ways Jesus said that. Uh, I don't think we like the idea that God promises um, that uh, 
in this life, in um, 2 Corinthians, and uh, chapter 4, and verse 17, um, I promise you I'm going to use the pain that you have in this life to create glory for you in the next life. Right? Let me read it for you. Uh, Verse 17. For this slight momentary affliction that you have is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Not many of us like the idea that maybe this life is preparation for the next life. And God has a, a, a plan in mind. Um, listen to some of these promises in uh, 1 Peter. We're in 2 Peter, but in 1 Peter, um, it's kind of interesting. Uh, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Here's God saying, I promise you that uh, you have now hope for the future. A living hope, right? That's one of the promises God makes for now. We live by hope. Uh, According to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. So here's a promise. I, I think one of the worst things that can happen to a person in the world is to be without hope. Here's a promise God's made to you. You have hope. I don't care who you are. I don't care what your circumstances are. I don't care what's happened in your past. You have hope if you're a believer. God has given it to you. Second uh, promise. Um, uh, this is great, right? We have this living hope, and um, he, God has also uh, given us an inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. An inheritance. You're loaded. You're rich. An inheritance from God. Ah, but it's not now, right? An inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. Oh, it's for the future. Well, it's sort of tied to now because remember Jesus said you can, uh, you can invest in heaven, right? Uh, you can take your treasures and apply them to heaven, Right? Lay up your treasures in heaven. Well, we have this great inheritance, but it's not for now, right? It's a promise that we have in heaven. Uh, doesn't that make you optimistic? Don't you, like, look forward to going there and seeing what it is, uh, you know, and, and so forth, right? So this is a promise that God's made for us now. We live with this optimism about our future. And then we have this great salvation, another promise that God makes to us. Uh, God's power has gar- is guarding through faith a salvation that's ready to be revealed <laughs> ah, at the last time. Whoa. It's not going to be revealed until like the, the, the glory of our salvation and the depth of our salvation, the nuances of our salvation won't be revealed uh, until the end time. So these are promises you know, that are for now. But look what else is for now. Verses 6 and 7 of uh, 1 Peter chapter 1 say this. In this you rejoice, all of these promises, a living hope, a great salvation, an inheritance in the future. In this you rejoice. Even though now, right, for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of faith, which is more precious than gold that perishes, 
though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Here's what I can promise you. Your faith in this life will be tested. Now, I always thought testing was so that the teacher could, right, know where you were at. But you know what? The teacher here already knows where we're at. The test is for us. God allows various things to come into our life so that we can know where we're at. Because you know why? The Bible says, examine yourselves to make sure that you're in the faith. Second Corinthians. Uh, examine yourself. Make sure that you're in the faith. Um, and, and look at this. Um, here's another promise about now. Verse 13 of 1 Peter. Therefore, prepare your minds for action, right? Be convicted. Be sober-minded and set your hope, set your hope, listen, fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Where's your hope? Is your hope in this life? Is your hope that life will go well? Is your hope, you know, tied to things in this life? I I just blows my mind. Peter says, set your hope, listen, fully on the day when Jesus comes back. I, I, you know, I feel convicted by that. I don't have all my hope resting on that day. Set your hope fully on that day when Jesus comes back. That's when it will all come together. And then verse 17, uh, if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to uh, each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. (laughs) How does Peter look at this life? Well, you're citizens of heaven. You're exiled here. You know, for a period of time, Peter calls our whole life here an exile. We're longing for home. We can't wait to get back home. You know, we think like from home and so forth, but we're exiled here. We have a job to do. Uh, There's so many promises for now in the scriptures. Um, Let me just rattle a couple off and I'll quit. Uh, Matthew 28, 20, you're all familiar. You know, Jesus says, I am with you always. I'll be with you. No matter where you go, no matter what happens to you in life, Jesus made a promise for the present. I will be with you now until the end of the age. Hebrews uh, 13 uh, says, I will never leave you or forsake you. Philippians 1.6 says, he who began a good work in you will see it through until the end. He's not going to ever turn his back on us. Uh, Matthew 11, you remember Jesus says, come unto me, uh, this, uh, all you who are weary and heavy laden. Oh, man, it's so hard to be a Christian. I'm so weary. It's such a burden. I feel like I should do this, but I want to do that. And it's just heavy. Jesus says, come unto me, all you who are weary, I'll give you rest. That's that's kind of a promise. If you're going to live your life for God, you're going to get weary from time to time. You're going to be heavy laden with things that happen. And Jesus says, come to me, I promise you, I'll give you rest. I'll take my yoke and put it on you and we'll walk together in life and I'll teach you, right? And uh, my burden is easy and light and uh, if you just do it with me and we're linked together, uh, that'll make all the difference in the world. And then one last one in Isaiah. Uh, Let me just read again, Isaiah chapter 43. Um, But now thus says the Lord, he who created you, who formed you, fear not, for I have redeemed you, I have called you by name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. And through the rivers, they won't overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you won't be burned. 
and the flame will not consume you, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Because you are precious in my eyes and honored, and I love you, I give men in return for you, right? Peoples in exchange for your life. Fear not, I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east and from the west and gather you back together and so on and so forth. What a great God we have. We have promises for the present. Don't confuse them with promise. Timing is everything. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just pause and again we thank you for your word. Uh, We're so thankful that you're not a silent God, that you speak to us, that you've put your spirit in us so that we can understand what you're saying to us, that you actually allow us to become partakers of your nature, that increasingly we should find that we're changing and that we're becoming more and more like you. And as we increase in our knowledge and understanding of who you really are, uh, that we would be able to see these likenesses Father, showing up in our lives for your sake and for your glory. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.